Welcome to the Podglomerate. Hello and welcome to Plus 7 Intelligence, the show about how games impact people. My name is Chess. This episode, we are continuing our series on games and mental health. Today, we are shifting gears a bit. Many of my guests have talked about the therapeutic effects of role-playing games like Dungeons and Dragons. And I think it's worth diving into because it's an area of games that is relatively advanced in terms of being accepted as a treatment for mental health. And this is a big step from role-playing games being ridiculed, or downright literally demonized. For anyone not familiar, in the 80s, there were news reports and books being written about how Dungeons & Dragons was drawing kids into Satanism. It sounds ludicrous, but they even made a Tom Hanks movie about it. And this phenomenon was known as the Satanic Panic. There were plenty of parents who pulled their kids out of D&D groups as a result. But now, in a stunning reversal... Many parents are now turning to D&D to help their kids learn social and emotional skills. Listen to how the founders of game to grow make it happen. This episode is brought to you by Discord. Discord is an all-in-one voice and text chat platform designed for gamers, and it's free to use on your desktop, phone, or tablet. Use it to co-op with friends or to discover new communities of gamers to play with. Get started with Discord by checking out the Plus 7 Intelligence Discord server the place to discuss how games impact people. Just go to discord.gg slash plus seven. Roll for initiative, because the interview starts now. All right, with me today are Adam Davis and Adam Johns, and they are the founders of the nonprofit Game to Grow. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Adam and Adam. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. So let's go back to the beginning. When did you first realize that games could have benefits for building social skills and for education? So we actually, uh, we found a game to grow just last year, but we've been doing this kind of work using tabletop games and therapeutic social skills groups since 2011. Hmm. Yeah, I guess that's true. Adam and I met in grad school while I was pursuing my master's in couple and family therapy, and Adam was pursuing his master's in education with a focus in drama therapy. And at the time he was running these groups that were part of another organization that was using Dungeons and Dragons for social skills, but it was more of a drop-in group that that would sort of show up to, it, it was very similar to a group that you might see at the back of a game store. So when, when I took over this group, uh, it was a, a great opportunity for kids to, to play D&D together and get some socialization. And these are kids who are kind of socially isolated. So it was a great place for them to go for, for the evenings. And then I was, um, I took over the group and initially I was just a player. The, the players were uh, dungeon mastering for each other. So it was a great opportunity for them to build those kinds of skills. And then over time, I started to be a game master, and then I, I realized that the power of the game master is, is so important in the way that the game is run. And I was studying drama therapy, like Adam said, and I sort of realized that Dungeons & Dragons has the potential to just be sit-down drama therapy. So then I started using some of the theories we were learning in grad school 
incorporating them into the game and understanding the, the, the powerful impact that this game could have. The young people can, can see themselves as their character and take the strengths of their characters with them into their real lives while also taking some of the challenges that they're experiencing in their real lives and put them under their character. And that my job as the game master is I can set up the game to, to heighten their strength and help them learn through their characters' challenges. So we got all this great opportunity to really start to see all the theories we were learning in grad school and how they could be then applied in in this amazing setting. And it, it was really kind of a, a, co, a coalescing of, of parts and areas where we got to take all of our personal experience in playing games and in Dungeons and Dragons and 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 then all of a sudden see see it through the lens of mental health and and the ability to provide social skill growth. That's awesome. So what is it about RPGs? You know, what benefits do they have over say board games, video games, sports as it relates to therapy or development? So first, I guess I'll say that um, Game to Grow was founded on the idea that games of all kinds can be used for um, therapy and educational development. But there is something special about RPGs, and it's specifically the idea of how much opportunity you have to make choices about your characters. A lot of our work is based around the idea that as you make choices about your characters, you have a chance to put pieces of yourself into your character, that your character, to some extent, is you. And maybe you choose characters because they are different from you. Maybe you choose them because they are an emphasis of a quality that you already have. But whatever choices you make about your characters then give you opportunities to sort of take pieces of yourself and put them into your character. And because of that, it means that when your character succeeds or when your character grows, you get a chance to internalize and and to take away some of that growth into yourself as well. The thing that makes RPGs really unique in that end, is you make a lot of choices about your characters, maybe easily more than any video game or any tabletop board game. Uh, You're constantly making choices, not just about uh, what your character looks like, what you create through your own imagination, and what kind of character class and abilities you have, but also the kinds of background, the personality your character has. Anytime you are interacting with an NPC in the game or when you are interacting even with other players, you're having to make choices about how would my character respond in this moment. And so it means you're constantly having to, to create those pieces of your character, which means that your character is so much more a representation in some way of yourself. The other thing that makes RPGs so unique is the fact that they're facilitated by a game master, that there is a facilitator. And in our case, uh, game to grow we are the facilitators who have uh, training. And so we are um, bringing in a lot of our, our experience, both as game masters and as, as facilitators, into making sure that this rich a character that the that the young participant has put all of their uh, subconscious thoughts, needs, and desires into, that then we get to create the game to access that in a more effective way. So I might have a, a young person who's dealing with some um, troubling family dynamics, and so they're trying to to distance themselves from some of the troubling family dynamics in their life. So then in the game, I have a ghost attack the party. And the ghost is mad at the character because the character's great aunt killed them in horrible, uh, evil ritual. And so then the, the, the player, as their character, has to say, that wasn't me, that was my family, and I'm different than my family. And they get to go through this whole uh, uh, analogical uh, ritual of getting rid of this ghost that is a product of their problematic family relationships. And then that is, by analogy, something that they're getting some practice and experience with in their own real life. And I challenge you to find a board game that would have that level of of opportunity for personal introspection. 
That's amazing. That reminds me of you see in movies, there'll be like dream sequences and stuff where a character goes through something like that, where whatever they're going through is an analogy for what's within them. But you as a game master are doing that with real people towards an end. And you guys also have the education and the background in psychology to put weight behind it. That's really fascinating. The stories that we play in are both real and not real at the same time. So it's a really powerful sort of liminal space where we can be ourselves and be a character. And both of those things are 100% true at the same time. I do think that like RPGs like D&D are, are very much similar to sort of a dreamscape. It's a place where really anything can happen. And it has sort of rules, but the rules seem loose enough that they can be bent or broken at times when they need to be. The difference is just that we get to be awake and so we get to be conscious throughout that process. And you know that they're real and you know that they're not real. Yeah. It has weight, but it's also not real. Yeah. So it me- it's meaningless, which makes it meaningful. very meaningful. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're just going back and forth between two. That's, <laughs> two things. that's the, I don't know the sort that. of dialectic. <laughs> uh, it's both true and not true. Hmm. That's really interesting. And I see that on your website, you talk about Dungeons and Dragons a lot. What types of game systems do you use and and what do you look for in those systems? So mostly we use Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition. Uh, We have used other games with uh, some of our younger groups. We've used No Thank You Evil with with great success for for younger kids. It's definitely a great system for that. Part of the reason we use 5th edition so much is that a lot of our players that are coming in, and especially their parents, have never played an RPG before and they have no conceptualization of what it is. And so a big part of it is really just that it's recognizable. And so when we tell parents, hey, we're running it, it's a group where your kids can come in, they get to be social. We use Dungeons and Dragons. And when we say, are you familiar with Dungeons and Dragons? They usually will say, well, I've heard of it, but I don't don't know anything about it. Um, So that little extra piece of having heard of that system or having being at least a little bit familiar with it gives them some starting place. Whereas saying something like, um, we're going to use, what's a good example of that? 13th Age. We're going to use 13th Age. Um, a lot of parents just wouldn't wouldn't recognize that unless they were already steeped in in uh, role-playing games. And 13th Age is a great game. It's just not something that we have used, partially because Adam and I have been playing earlier versions of Dungeons & Dragons most of our lives. So we're very familiar with the the world and the, 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 the ways that Dungeons and Dragons has, has um, mechanics that, that relate to the game. Um, there are lots of other games we have played that have uh, fantastic utility. We've, we played a lot of board games in um, some groups last summer that had other fantastic outcomes for, for teaching specific skills or harnessing certain skills. But Dungeons and Dragons has a nice mix Fifth edition specifically has a nice mix of story and of crunch. So we have uh, 30, seven kids in our groups right now, uh, five groups all over the greater Seattle area. And we have a age range of nine to 20 and Dungeons and Dragons fifth edition can serve that whole range. Um, Hmm. There's a a nine-year-old we can play Dungeons and Dragons with and ignore some of the rules that don't matter. And they'll still have a great time um, getting all the benefits of playing a role-playing game where we can ignore some of the, some of the skills if they're not important or some of the the ability checks if they're not important. Whereas a a 20-year-old player that I have, really loves getting into the, you know, the, the um, errata and go, going online and researching and then coming in and, the and 
talking about you know specifics of the physics involved and and advocating for what he or she wants out of the game based on um, physics research that they have done, and then they're they're compelling their fellow players to agree with them over the dungeon master um, <laughs> is on, on the, yeah right based on the <laughs> physics that they've researched that they care about so much. Um, so there's there's a lot of access points that are uh, the fifth edition just really uh, handles so well. I will say there's a there's a few other um, things that I tend to steal from some other role playing games. Uh, Dungeon World has a great system that's about relationships and the way you form relationships around other players, and that that I found to be incredibly useful, especially for getting a group of players who've never played before together, and we can establish some early relationships between their characters right off the bat, uh, as well as like. Uh, other systems for tokens and and uh, occasionally other die rolls or other mechanics around things like underwater battle or or things like that. We'll we'll steal, we'll, we will quote unquote borrow <laughs> from <laughs> from other systems where where they have something that's really great or where they have something that's really useful in the in the moment. There's a story game called Microscope that we've used a fair amount for uh, creating character backstories. Um, mm-hmm. When when you know, some people are sick and they're not able to come to groups, and we occasionally will get stuck. Um, in a situation where we have one player and one game master, and it's kind of hard to have a, a D&D game that continues the plot while three characters are not there. So we have um, occasionally gone into backstory mode or side mission mode, and uh, Microscope has been a game we used a lot for um, creating character backstories. It's really nice um, structurally. It's got a sort of a workflow for making large swaths of story, and that's been a fantastic one we've used. We've also stolen um, like entire concepts. We uh, the, the game The Strange um, is a, a game all about going into portals, and then when they go through portals, you translate into a version of yourself from that dimension. And so I stole mm-hmm. that entire concept for a very long plot line and I did that entirely so that I can, on May the 4th of last year, have them go into the Star Wars universe. <laughs> Just I made my whole plot line around traveling into portals because I wanted to have the players go into the Star Wars universe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah That sounds like something I would do. <laughs> yeah, it was fantastic. They, they went into the portal and then I sort of described that they were in a room full of metal, which was very strange. And you look out the window and you see the night sky, which is weird because the night sky shouldn't be out of a horizontal window. <laughs> and then they walked over there and saw nothing but the night sky. And then they looked down at themselves and one of them is wearing like a robe and he has a sort of a metal cylinder on his belt. And the other <laughs> one is transformed entirely from a gnome into like a small furry creature. Um, and was he, uh, an Ewok? he was an Ewok. <laughs> um, and then like they sort of, it dawned on them and then he was like, I, I inspect the cylinder. And I was like, you notice there's a button on the side of it. And then I had my phone <laughs> queued up for the, uh, for the lightsaber sound when he's like, I push the button. <laughs> Yeah, the look of like, oh my God, we're in Star Wars. It's fantastic. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, and you mentioned you have a lot of new players. I was going to ask how much experience with the game affects kind of the therapeutic environment, you know, whether too much or too little experience can can get in the way. Uh, we We tend to actually prefer new players for the most part. We don't make that a restriction for joining the group of course but uh but we find that that the new players are more open to seeing the way that we play the game and we do play it differently than if you were to go to a game store or if you're you know playing playing at your friend's house uh there's different goals and there's different aims and we do a lot of stuff in our game where we will bend or ignore rules 
at times where we think it's an opportunity for a player to experience some growth or experience some challenge that they need to overcome. A great example of that is is um, roles for social deception or for persuasion, things like that, where we will make the character inter- uh, role play it out often instead of rolling. And sometimes we'll do a combination of the two, but but it's often at times a, a process of of figuring out where their challenge level is and, and making them step up to that challenge. Mm-hmm. We also our 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 game is largely focused on story. We have we'll go whole several weeks without any combats for some of our groups. Um, some of them really want combat, and some of them are are happy just having more role playing and more more character interaction. And so we will sometimes go a long time without having any any of the actual combat mechanic parts of of groups. I've gone whole sessions without rolling dice. It's not very common because dice rolling is like a hugely fun part of the game, <laughs> but right. but um, but it does happen. And and having no expectation coming in allows us a lot more freedom to do that without a player sort of going like, ah, oh, we didn't even roll any dice today. And sometimes uh, metagaming is a totally fine way to do it. And sometimes it's problematic because you want them to be in character and you want them to to gain the skills of perspective taking where they're they're interacting as someone who is not them. And so there are, there are definitely times where the players they are fighting a yeti and they the combat ended mid-combat and one of the players said something like i'm gonna go home and read my monster manual and know everything about the yeti for the next time we come back (laughs) Ah, (laughs) just so you know the yeti just got a lot more challenging yeah we we have a specific rule at our table which is that if anybody happens to know the stats on a monster and they say those stats while we're in the middle of fighting the monster uh, that we will immediately change the monster and make it harder. <laughs> now the Yeti just shot lasers out of his eyes. Yeah, you guys didn't know that Yetis could do that. He got but... covered. His his skin turned to steel. That's his right. armor class went up by five. <laughs> I, I'm the game master. <laughs> yeah. But we do we do uh, occasionally get in some very experienced players, and the great thing about that is that they get do get an opportunity to make up their own character. All of our new players come in with pre made characters, which we provide them so they can play day one. They're on it. They're they're in the game. They're playing a playing a character. But the advantage to an experienced player is they get to really dig in and figure out what kind of race they want to play and what kind of class they want to play. And and we can challenge them to to push on their personality a little bit more or make characters that are flawed, which are things that new players don't necessarily always realize is is an important part of the game is having very prominent and uh, and uh, uh, flaws that come up often throughout throughout the game uh, makes your character a far more interesting character to play. You talk about how you're kind of crafting a narrative to basically focus on an individual person and, and the kind of growth you want to see in them or issues you, you see in them. How do you balance having multiple different people at the table at different places and with different stories? How do you individually craft to you know multiple people at the same time? That's a great question. It's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy. So we, we, we try to have a mixed model. So we have participants with different sort of life experiences and different needs at a a table because we think that sort of multiplicity of perspectives and voices is important and therapeutic for everyone. There are some challenges if everyone at our table was struggling with ADHD. So there is some some great modeling that can happen when uh, we have a mixed group. 
So if somebody is particularly socially anxious and you've got somebody else who's uh, dealing with some different challenges, but they're very supportive, then that's a fantastic sort of group we can get together where one person's challenges can be supported by another person's strengths. And that's a great tool set that we want to prepare our participants with for going out into the world is realizing they can't do everything themselves and they're going to rely on other people's strengths to accommodate for some of their challenges. That's a, a skill set that's sort of a higher level thinking. So we want to, of course, empower them with, with skills. We want to help them understand perspective taking and, and creative problem solving and, and some similar sorts of skills that's just for them. But the, the ability for them to understand that they can't do everything by themselves and other people might have strengths that they don't have is a, is a really important part of the group. So getting a, the right mix of groups together that have a disparate different storylines, different needs is, is an important part of it. And then a lot of participants understand when another character is being highlighted. So um, I have, you know, a, a group where uh, one particular player is the chosen one who needs to put the magic sword pieces together to fight back a, an ancient evil. And the rest of the group understands sort of subconsciously even that that is to support this young participant's feeling of, of belonging, that they uh, struggle sometimes understanding where they fit in. And, and so the, in this particular game, they are essential. And the rest of the group is going to have to defend that person and really work together where initially that, that young participant has been um, ostracized or excluded from school and from the community. In this, in this storyline, they're essential, they're important. And the rest of the group understands that and can work together to, to meet that other player's needs because everybody has a space at the table. I'll also say we see, because our, our groups are specifically oriented at building uh, and helping with social skills, we do see a fair amount of crossover between very similar challenges again and again through our participants. So we, we often will see a lot of participants that have trouble with focusing or that have trouble with impulse control or that are somewhere on the uh, you know autism spectrum challenges for relating to other people or having empathy. All of those give us an opportunity to, to we craft some in-game scenarios, and those sometimes can translate from one group to another group with some minor variations or some minor adjustments to it. So if, we, if I make an in-game scenario that's aimed at helping somebody with social anxiety learn how to convince a king in front of his court that he should be helping the, the players solve this, this ancient mystery, I can use that same kind of thing in order to help another player with social anxiety in another in another group, um, and I might change some of the aspects based on their character or based on the storyline that they're they're doing. But I know that that sort of scenario can be helpful for them. So we we see enough of that similarity to be able to not always have to craft every single thing from scratch based on the the character that's that's right in front of us. Now a word about Discord. Discord is the greatest way for gamers to connect online. Hang out in chat rooms to discuss gaming exploits, then jump into voice chat to play a co-op match. All of this for free on your desktop or mobile device. Here are some ways that I use Discord just this week. One of my favorite games has a dev kit available for anyone to make mods. On a whim, I tried it out, but I was having trouble installing it correctly. I saw that there was an official Hand of Fate Discord and a channel specific to modding. So I asked for help, and before I knew it, I had multiple people, including some of the creators of the game, talking me through my issue in real time. And on the Plus 7 Intelligence Discord, I chatted with a guest of the show about his interview, sharing an audio clip that I found hilarious, which was conveniently playable within Discord. I actually didn't even know that that was a possibility. 
to get started with Discord and to join the server that I've set up specifically for Plus 7 Intelligence listeners, go to discord.gg slash plus 7. That's discord.gg slash plus numeral 7. The link is also in the show notes. So a lot of the people you work with are young. So, you know, we, we touched on it before. Do you face roadblocks with parents who don't understand or have negative associations with role-playing games that you have to work through? And if so, how do you do that? Um, for, for the most part, we've actually had pretty good reception, even from parents that are that don't really know anything about role-playing games or, or about Dungeons & Dragons. The, the thing that seems to help the most is we do a short description of what role-playing games are, um, and we really emphasize some of the things that the parents might be looking for in like a social group or in a social skills group for their kid. So I might say, like, it's a game where there's one person who's the sort of uh, lead storyteller and referee, and that's the game master. And everybody else at the table plays a character where they have a piece of paper that tells them things about their character, like how strong they are or uh, what kind of equipment they have on them. The whole game is played without any screen. So we're, we're just playing at a table and having conversations and playing face-to-face through this game. And the players all work together on a team to overcome the challenges that are put there by the by the game master. And usually a description like that gives them an opportunity to go, oh, okay, there's no screens, so I'm not having to worry about screen time. It's all face-to-face. They're working together. It's a cooperative game. And they have an opportunity to, it's very imaginative. So we're, we're using a lot of imagination to describe things that are that are going on. And usually that's enough to sell most most parents on on the idea of what we're doing. It's very beneficial that we're sort of in the background of a lot of uh, gaming epicenters like we were near uh, Kirkland and Redmond and Seattle where there's lots of engineers um, who have a background in gaming and there's lots of video game and board game companies around here means that the culture of gaming is pretty strong in the greater Seattle area so we have a lot of instant buy-in that way too We've heard a lot of stories from people who are trying to start similar groups or who are trying to do similar work um, in other parts of the country that that really struggle a lot more to get people on board. And it, it, it is a challenge. I mean, there's still a, a stigma around Dungeons and Dragons, around role-playing games that exist um, more in other parts of, of the U.S. certainly than than they do in Seattle, but they exist for sure. Early on, we had a couple of people who, who we didn't really have our elevator pitch down um, in how to talk about the work that we do. So we had some people who were sort of dismissive, but nobody has really has been outright um, rejecting the work that we do other than one person this in, in all of uh, all the parents we've ever spoken to or principals or teachers or therapists or counselors. There's only one person we spoke to um, at a at a convention, we had a booth at a homeschool convention, Washington State Homeschool Convention, and there was one parent who had come over to us and and said, "Well, she knew somebody in the '80s who had a daughter who was, you know, lured into a satanic cult through Dungeons and Dragons." And sometimes that's just the way that evil works. And then um, she said, "No offense, but I don't know you from Adam." And at the time, Adam and I were both wearing name tags that said Adam. <laughs> My name is Adam on them. So the two of us just pointed to our name tags. <laughs> she said, oh, you know what I mean. <laughs> so that's that's the only circumstance we've ever had where any of the sort of legacy of the 80s or any of the sort of problematic history of role-playing games has ever really come up for us. Yeah, that's, that's really encouraging. I feel like in a lot of the people I talk to for the show – that's kind of the case that there's a lot of worry about backlash against games of all sorts, but the actual existing backlash is kind of fading away. But what about in the professional world? You've taught a 
a master's level workshop on using RPGs in clinical practice. Can you talk about that and and about how your work has been accepted in the therapy space? Yeah, I guess first I'll, I'll just say that as we've approached and talked to other therapists and, and educators about the work that we do, uh, almost universally the, the reaction has been like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. That's an awesome idea. And why hasn't this been happening sooner? Right. Why, why, why hasn't this been around sooner? <laughs> and, and most of the time it's just that they, you know, they, they had never thought of that. Um, whatever exposure they have to to Dungeons and Dragons or to games, um, they immediately can see the value in making that an appeal for especially a, a teenage or young adult audience for something that they can feel engaged in and also be find find benefit in. A lot of the participants in our groups have been seeing therapists for a very long time and have sort of plateaued. And especially with the the amount of services that are available to middle and high school students for social skill building sort of drops off. So we're really providing a service that's very needed. So a lot of therapists hear about what we're doing and they say, oh, thank God I can send my, my client to you. I can send my client. My client desperately needs some services and they need a place they can go belong. Right now they're so technologically immersed and socially isolated that they're not interacting with other people. So the idea that uh, a young person can go to a social skills group and enjoy it is something that is like wonderful news for so many therapists that, that that's the way that we can can frame our group to, to parents and, and therapists in a way that they can see their client or their, their kid or their student um, wanting to hang out with other kids they're excited about going to a socially supportive group where they're having face-to-face time, both supporting and struggling, interacting with other people. That's like, that's a godsend. There's, there's so many parents that we talk to who are, that we are the answer to their prayers. On on the other side, as far as the workshop goes, our, our workshop that we ran was, was six hours long with a sort of short lunch break in the middle of it. And through, through that workshop, what we did, it was a workshop for... Um, uh, master's level students who were students of Antioch University, which is our alma mater. That's where we got our master's degrees from. We, we basically led them through, here's here's how our model looks, here's why role-playing games can be good for you, and then facilitated really well why they can really help and and foster tremendous growth in, in clients, especially oriented around social skill development. At the end of the workshop, the pretty much unanimous response from all of them was, we need a lot more workshops to know how to do this, <laughs> which I, I think is true. As we've talked to more and more people, it's not enough to be a good therapist. It's not enough to be a good game master. You have to have skills in both areas that you can really combine and that you can lean on to be able to come in and, and be able to combine these two these two worlds. You can't just come in as, as a therapist who says, I think role-playing games are interesting, but I've never played them before. Um, you have to really build up some of your own personal experience to to be able to facilitate a group like this. And we've done two workshops at Antioch, those full-day workshops, and then we also did a uh, presentation for the North American Drama Therapy Association. And it was it was amazing because we've we've talked now at something like 20 gaming conventions, gaming and geek conventions, and there everybody understands Dungeons & Dragons, so we don't have to do a lot of explaining what Dungeons & Dragons is. And when we presented at the North American Drama Therapy Association, I remember it was our first time talking to academics, and we sort of brushed over the part where we talk about what role-playing games are, and at the very end, I remember somebody raised their hand and was like, so how do you win? 
Yeah. How do you, how do you win this game? <laughs> oh man, I forgot that you have never played role playing before. So that was a wake up call. So the next uh, the next time we did these um, these workshops for therapists, we really had to break it down because a lot of therapists understand some of the sort of basic principles around it that it's in person, and even that is something that a lot of therapists and parents still need a clarification around. This is not a video game. Um, so there's there is. Um, it's also sort of brilliant that we get the opportunity to lay the foundation for what a role-playing game is also because our model is based on the story elements. So if they came in with an understanding of, of Dungeons and Dragons based on pop culture or based on their own experience, it might be something that's a lot more focused on, on combat or on the violent aspects of it that we might have to do a lot more um, coaching around or sensitivity around making sure that a therapist understands the the combat in the game, the violence in the game and, and, understands how that plays into the landscape of the experience without having to sort of dance around the worries around that. Right. What do you think about for people who aren't in a therapeutic game session, do you think there are benefits for people to play role-playing games in their daily lives? Absolutely. Actually, we gave a whole talk at PAX South a few years ago about, about this very concept. But ultimately, I think that playing role-playing games has tremendous benefit pretty pretty much any group that you attend has the opportunity to provide you with um, some great benefits um, even if it's not being aimed or, or facilitated in a, in a therapeutic way at the talk impact south we talked about how it provides opportunities for perspective taking for frustration tolerance uh, creative problem solving and collaboration skills and all of those are are just sort of built into just about any role-playing game experience uh, regardless of the system regardless of the uh, almost regardless of the group. Uh, obviously, it helps to have a really good dungeon master and a really, really like supportive and and safe feeling group to be a part of. But you still get the opportunity for all of, all of those benefits. Our groups have therapeutic game masters who are doing a lot of uh, what we call narrative transference, which is really connecting the the participant to their character and to the story elements, the plot, and so on. But that doesn't have to happen for you to get the benefits of, of a role-playing game. As Adam said, just by sitting down, you're going to have to think about your choices and do some evaluations about what you want. So you're going to have to do some values clarification no matter what you do. You're going to have When you sit down, you have to think about, well, my character rolled really low on their nature roll. I know that that plant is xyz but my character doesn't and i have to work on my my perspective taking in this and act for my character and not for me which is a skill set you can totally take when you are stuck in traffic yeah. and that person is going really slow why are they going so slow i hate them they don't know that i'm late to work but i hate them for for the fact that they're slowing me down so the perspective taking that you get from a game like this is really helpful when you go and and you interact with your daily life and it helps you understand that people have different thoughts and feelings and experiences and wisdom that you have and that that right there is a way to help them interact with their coworkers better with their colleagues with their uh, fellow students much better um, frustration tolerance is something that's built into the game because you're rolling dice yeah pretty much anything with with a random chance to fail outright is uh is definitely going to build up some frustration. I know I've I have had more than one personal session where I played a character and just just rolled like terrible rolls for the entire game, and it is a it is a good exercise in my frustration. Sure. And we also have days like that. We have we everybody mm -hmm. has a day where they do the same thing they've done a million times before, 
And, you know, you open the door and you hit yourself in the face with it. Sometimes it just happens. You know, sometimes we have those days. I guess I rolled a one on my door opening check. Um, and it's that ability to say, you know, sometimes we mess up doing things we've done a million times before. And that's that's just life. That's just the way that we have to walk through the world is understanding that we're not going to do everything right every time. Occasionally we'll roll a 20 and that is awesome. I opened that door and it didn't damage me in any way the best door best door open and i didn't hurt anybody else you open the door and you won a million dollars opening yeah, the door. right the person on the other side of that door was the uh reader's digest <laughs> guy. That yeah. that's the natural 20 yeah that's the one actually <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right well man i'd love to hear about all this it's so many great stories and you know, so fills me with a lot of hope that there's so many people who are finding value in this and that's helping people and not just helping the the people who come to play the game, but it sounds like it's serving, you know, a functional role of filling a need that, that exists in, in the therapy space. Absolutely. Um, actually, a big part of our sort of end goal mission of game to grow is we want to change the way that people game and view gaming. There's still a lot of negative impressions that come along with gaming and a lot of people out there that, that really believe that gaming is not doesn't have the opportunity to, to benefit you. We really want to work towards changing some of those perspectives. But then to take that a step further, we want to help the people who do game and who do uh, appreciate the, the entertainment value of games to understand and be able to use those games to help themselves grow and help themselves change to help themselves reflect upon their own ideas and their own internal process and use that in a way to help them know more about themselves and maybe because of that uh, be able to make different choices or or improve themselves because games have the power to improve people's lives even more so if they play in a way to harness those benefits so we don't want people to just game more we want them to game better don't just game game to grow <laughs> that's a, that, was a, that was from our that was good uh, that was, that was, that that was from uh, we, we had a uh, we had a, a donor video when we when we founded game to grow we had um a generosity campaign done through indiegogo and that was our our tagline don't just game, don't game just to game grow. game to grow mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's great and and what you just said is very similar to why this show exists and why i talk to the people i do really grateful you guys uh, came on the show to talk about it so where can people find you online and get in contact with you uh, if they're interested in what you do or find you on social media? We have Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. All of those are Game to Grow at T-O Grow, Game T-O Grow, not the number two. And uh, our website has a whole lot of uh, appearances we've been on, podcasts and panels we've done. As I mentioned earlier, we've talked at, at a whole lot of PAXs since 2015. And uh, we recorded most of them on our website. So check that out. We talk a lot more about the benefits of role-playing games. We tell a lot more stories from our experience as therapeutic game masters. And those are a great resource if you're looking to learn more about what we do. We also have a newsletter you can sign up for uh, where we will be doing some, having some training opportunities. We'll be doing some, some webinar-based trainings and maybe some in-person trainings here in the Seattle area. So the best way to find out about that is to join our newsletter at gametogrow.org slash newsletter because we're a nonprofit, we're also on amazon smile if you're not familiar with amazon smile it is a thing everybody should be using which is that if you make purchases through smile.amazon.com amazon will will make a donation based on the amount that you spend to a nonprofit of your choice so you can select game to grow on smile.amazon.com and you can 
With every purchase on Amazon that doesn't cost you any more than it would have otherwise, you make a small donation to Game to Grow. And those donations go a long way for us to be able to continue to expand, to reach other people, and develop materials that help other therapists and other educators learn how to do what we're doing. You can also get on Humble Bundle. Oh yeah, we're if on you, Humble Bundle. If too. you are if you're purchasing things through Humble Bundle, we're a charity you can support through Humble Bundle as well. We're everywhere if you look for us. <laughs> Gamebegrow.org. <laughs> look, look under every rock. Under every rock. That's our goal. Right. <laughs> All right, awesome. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you for having us, Chess. Uh, it was it was really great. We really appreciate it. For some reason. Even though I've been hearing and reading about therapeutic role-playing, I was still floored by Adam and Adam's approach and expertise. I guess somehow in my mind I still had it that a therapeutic game session just served to get someone out of their shell a little bit and socializing, but it is so much more involved than that. The idea of creating a world and storylines that are tuned to meet people where they are and then push them forward I was just so impressed at the care and attention that they take. The blending of fantasy and game mechanics to tangibly improve the way that people approach life is just fascinating to me. A word from a sponsor before we close out. I want to tell you about another show that seems like it was written for me. You see, I had a true crime podcast addiction for a while, and I couldn't get enough of a gripping story full of twists and turns, but I realized I needed something more lighthearted to balance out dark themes. Enter the podcast, This Sounds Serious. It's a comedy podcast that tells a fictional murder story through the style of a true crime podcast. It involves twins, cults, and my homeland of Central Florida. Take a listen. This season on This Sounds Serious. 911, what's your emergency? Uh, my brother, I, uh, I think he's dead. It was quite possibly the most confusing case I've ever been a part of. Well, I guess I do have some splaining to do because I did get my tips frosted. We were way ahead of the boy band thing. He joined a f***ing cult. You are going to meet face-to-face with a murderer. Plus, it's Florida. Everyone's a criminal there. It's like America's Australia. Uh, would you want to comb a mini horse? Uh, um... Now, can you imagine trying to do the weather without saying thunder? It looked like he was French kissing the waterbed. Twins identical twins this sounds serious launches may 1st download it on Castbox or wherever you get your podcasts there was a guy in my cult he was like uh hey everybody i think we should kill ourselves and we were all like uh yeah okay todd you go first that's it for this week's intelligence boost next episode is the final entry in this series on games and mental health where I'll be speaking with Dr. Steve Kuniak about how games have helped him with hardship and anxiety and how he has turned that experience around to help others. And there's another surprise in the feed this week, so be on the lookout for that. Subscribe so you don't miss either of those. And let me know your thoughts in the Plus 7 Intelligence Discord at discord.gg slash plus 7. Thanks for listening. I'll see you in 7.
the Podglomerate, a sonic universe. Music for this episode provided by the ever-elusive and mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder.